Alright, here we go. <clears throat> what's up, what's up, everybody? It's your boy Kendall K. Howard, and welcome to another episode of How You Doing? Uh today I have a guest with me today, uh Dr. Marilyn Campbell, who is a professor at the University of Kentucky, um, specifically teaching in physical health and exercise. Uh, Dr. Campbell, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Um, like uh, Kendall said, I'm Dr. Marilyn Campbell, and I work at the University of Kentucky teaching a lot of nutrition-based classes, and I teach for a lot of our majors in exercise science. So my specialties are in the thing I got my master's degree in, which is nutritional sciences, and the thing I got my PhD in, which is exercise science, and I really love where those two worlds collide. Excellent. And I actually took your class, uh, not this past semester, but in the winter semester, by choice, actually. I'm, I'm not a uh, <laughs> science, nutritional science major or physical science major. That's not even in my field. But I was like, I was interested in that because I like to eat healthy. I like to work out. You know, I want to learn more about these things. So I thought it was beneficial for me to take this class. And it was actually very helpful. I enjoyed the process, especially when we had to go make our own foods and advertise mm-hmm. it for ourselves. That was, <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I thought it would be an interesting thing to bring you on the show and talk to you about some uh, nutritional facts, um, clear up some things that maybe that the audience don't know about, some things that I don't even know about. So let's get straight into it. Um, so one of the things I want to talk to you about was that many people say that eating healthy can be very expensive um, and that you have to go to special stores like a Whole Foods or like a, a Trader Joe's or something special just to get these nutritional type foods. Talk to us about how you can find healthy foods at reasonable prices, even at your local grocery store or at a regular store like a Kroger's or a Walmart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kendall, that's a that's a good point. I've actually done a lunch and learn on this that I might be able to um, direct you toward. But I think a lot of times it's about the choices that you make and what you mean when you say eating healthy. So for a lot of people, they think if I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to have to go buy a lot of protein shakes or special supplements, or I'm going to have to go to GNC or go and buy all these specialty products. And by and large, I would argue that you don't have to buy a lot of those specialty products and the supplements and things. And I think a lot of it is more incorporating in things like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, your lean meats, things of that nature. Um, And those things can be more expensive than maybe some more processed um, things that are higher in chemicals. We can produce those in America for a little bit cheaper even than we can buy produce. But I think I would argue that there's a trade out and that um, produce in general, you can look for seasonal options. So produce, I'm talking primarily of your fruits and your vegetables. If you go to the grocery store right now in the summer, for example, berries are on sale. Um, Tomatoes are likely to be on sale this time of year, whereas things that are not in season, apples, for example, are probably not going to be as cheap as they will be in the fall when they're in season. So I would suggest trying to get more fruits and vegetables in, but doing it seasonally and looking for what is on sale right now and um, what kind of things can we include whole grains such as like brown rice um, even just like whole grain pastas um, Mm. even popcorn oatmeal things of that nature really great options what's that i said i just had some oatmeal by the way too 
good. That's great. <laughs> it's it's pretty cheap to buy yes. oatmeal. Like some of the the whole grain kind of base you can do for cheaper. If now if you want to go to like quinoa or something, which has been really trendy here lately, and I wouldn't suggest oh. that you have to go to quinoa. That's going to be a little bit more expensive than just doing something like oatmeal. So, um. There are things that you can put as like staples as your background. So I would encourage getting more things that have whole grain. Whole grain breads are not generally all that much more expensive than the white breads um, and, and things like that. So like your base is getting some whole grains. Those are going to be some of your cheaper options that are mm -hmm. on the healthier side. Uh, I would search for lean meats that are on sale, trying to get those when they're um, running different specials and you might have to I, I do a lot of my shopping at Kroger. I do some of it at Walmart. Um, but sometimes I look at like, what does Meyer have to offer? A lot of my friends do Aldi. I don't get out there very often. I do Trader Joe's sometimes. I know you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and each of those run different specials and, and different things that you can, can look at. I don't do a lot of um, Whole Foods, even though they're catered to like a health market kind of thing. But they're pretty expensive, I think. Yeah. Um, one thing that you touched on and, and you was like talking about specifically was like whole grain foods. Now I know mm -hmm. growing up, we was always taught that like wheat was better than white, but it wasn't until recently until when I took your class that I learned that like whole grains and multi-grains is even better than wheat. Now talk to us about the difference between a wheat and a whole grain and even a white. Like what's the difference between, between those types of grains? Yeah, uh, great question, Kendall. And a lot of times, um, marketers try and deceive you with this. So mm -hmm. you want to look on the package for whether or not there actually are whole grains. So if I go and I find three different kinds of bread, one is labeled as white. White, most people know white is white. Um, generally, it's just going to say white bread across the front. It's going to look white in nature, although I can take that same white bread and put brown coloring on it to deceive people. And some companies do that. Mm. So I can, I, but, but I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, which one is white because it's, <laughs> it's the white bread that you physically see yeah. and generally doesn't require as much explanation as the difference between um, wheat and whole grain. So wheat, um, I could do that thing where I take my white bread and put some coloring in there and maybe I have a little bit of um, wheat. And so, Looking just for wheat might not have as much of a distinction between the whole grain versus the white option. So I would lean more toward things that are labeled with whole grain. So the difference between whole grain and white is the processing. So if I take the um, original sort of wheat that is going to be used in the bread and mm -hmm. I pull out all the fiber and all the nutrients that are really good, I'm going to end up with pretty much the white bread and the wheat might be somewhere in between there. Like there's a little bit more wiggle room for what you can call wheat. It's like whole grain is probably the best and there may be more or less of that refining that goes on. So I could get it pretty close to a white type of bread and then put a little bit more of like that brown coloring and have a little bit of wheat in there. And this whole grain is going to stay truer to what that grain originally was. It retains more of the fiber, more of like the vitamins and minerals, the good things that we think about having in the food, it just stays true to that, that nature and has a lot of the beneficial things for our health in it. And so um, hopefully that's kind of helpful. Like wheat can be a deceptive term, I guess. Yes. And it's kind of yes. like that in between, it could be closer to one or the other. Yeah, and there's like a lot of deceptive terms and ones that I like learned from your class and maybe pay attention to labels more now because you can see a bread that says, oh, it's wheat or it's 
some type of grain in it, but you'll check and it won't be like fully 100% whole grain or 100% wheat. And that's like a thing that I learned that like some food companies will do to like use these trigger words that a lot of people just tend to because people will hear certain words like, oh yeah, I heard about this on the internet. This is, this is good for me. And they won't fully look at the label to see what the product they actually are buying, but say they just see that one word and they're like, yeah, that's it. I'm just going to grab that. So what, what is it about these trigger words and why do people get so attracted to these words and are so easily to just go to these foods without, without even looking at the label? So talk to us about that. Yeah, I love this concept. Um, we talk about this in my class as the health halo. Some people have kind of done yep. some research on the health halo. So, um, for example, I'm trying to think of what would be a turmeric has, and this is actually what I did my dissertation research on. And so I think of this one maybe a bit more readily. Um, so you might have heard of it referred to as turmeric, turmeric. Mm -hmm. um, people have different pronunciations for it. But I'm giving this as an example of something that's like a trendy food right now. Kale a little bit ago, which is still kind of there, but not as trendy as I would say it was a few years back and people hear oh it's good for you so then they go and they're like oh there's this beverage that has turmeric in it so this must be really good for me and then they totally negate the right it could be like a super sugary drink that has like a little bit of the turmeric in it and then people think oh this is good for me because they hear these claims about different things and a lot of us aren't as educated on in, in nutrition. And so we hear about things that are good for us. And then they, we think that they like carry over and do these other areas and places where they might not. And I show this little video in my class of like the example of Subway. And people think of Subway as being like a fresh place with fresh ingredients and having fresh vegetables, but then they'll go and get a foot long sub instead of a six inch. So they feel like they can eat more of something that they because it contains fresh or maybe there are some vegetables in there, they don't think about what bread am I choosing, what meat am I choosing, what cheese am I choosing, because I generally just consider the food associated with fresh or I would say Subway as a restaurant kind of has like this connotation of being a little bit healthier than say McDonald's. McDonald's doesn't have that same connotation. And so we, when we lump foods into this idea of being like healthier or fresh, we sort of negate sometimes the rest of what might be in that product. And so I would lean toward not labeling something as like healthy or not healthy or like good or bad, but trying to consider the product as a whole. Can I go to Subway and make good choices? Yes. Can I go to Subway and make bad choices? Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say good and bad because I just argued for like not saying a food is good or bad, but I could make a healthier, not so healthy kind of choice at Subway. I think you get my point there. Yeah. And so I think that there really just are these buzzwords, these sort of superfoods that become really popular, even to like a layman who doesn't know anything about nutrition. And then they kind of latch on to them and sort of disregard the other information about the product. Now. I know personally me, uh, I took like, like I took off like a, a month or two or so of working out, but I would still eat healthy, you would say. But my intake of food was a little bit more than usual. Like people would say, oh, I mean, healthy. It doesn't matter how much I eat. I'm going to still be fine. But that intake kind of affects like still your body, like whether you still eating these healthy foods, you eat too much of it, it can still cause a negative effect on your body. And that's talk to us about that, like how even though you eat uh, healthy foods, how the intake and how much you eat according to your body weight and your body mass and your metabolism, how that can still affect your body. 
Yeah, um, I think uh, this is a very interesting question. So a lot of my research has to do with cardiovascular or heart health. Mm. And so I'm kind of asking this question um, as I look at some data related to nutrition and maybe how over consuming foods may or may not be as detrimental based on what kind of food you're consuming. And so um, some of that information we don't know, even about like heart health, something that's been studied so much. We don't quite know, but what we do know is if you overconsume anything, whether it's healthy or not, it could lead to obesity, which we do know is a problem, or even being overweight can be a problem. It can lead to a lot of other chronic health conditions. Um, diabetes is a primary one. Uh, metabolic syndrome as a whole, where you throw off your metabolism. You mentioned the metabolism. And... Just think about it like this. If I, if I regularly am taking in 2000 calories and my body is burning 500 due to like exercise that I'm doing that day, and then I stop exercising and then I start consuming 3000 calories. So I, I increase my intake, but then I decrease my exercise. We're shifting the body in a way that our metabolism doesn't quite know how to respond to that. And it like it had learned to sort of coast at a certain amount, but it shifts all kinds of things throughout the body. Like even the way that our cells intake things, the different signaling processes that happen within our body. And so we are shifting the amount of activity and the amount of food and without getting too heavy into the science of it, essentially this can like dysregulate our body to a degree in a way that could become detrimental for chronic health conditions down the road, or maybe even right now, generally, Kendall, somebody like yourself who is young and um, fit and relatively healthy, as far as I know, um, this is, uh, <laughs> um, you probably aren't going to experience as many problems for making the health decisions that you do at this young age as somebody will later on. But the decisions you make now could affect you later on at the same time. And so I'd say one of the big links is if you're over consuming, that could get you to overweight or obesity quicker, but it can also throw off some and dysregulate different things going on in the body in a way that's not super uh, helpful for various conditions as well. Yeah, I know as I've gotten a little bit older, um, I realize I still can't eat like some of the things I used to eat when I was younger. Like as a kid, you can just eat anything and like just yep. eat like bowls of just cereal or just bowls of crab salad in my case and just not have no worries. Like now I'm at the point where granted I am young, a twenty like a 21 year old, but like I eat some, but if I eat too much, I'm like, ah, oh, nah, this, this ain't gonna sit right on me. Like I already feel mm -hmm. the, the, the like ramifications and the after effects of eating too much of something or eating something that I shouldn't be. So I was like, oh man, I know people tell me as you get older, <laughs> it gets worse. I'm like, oh God, don't say that. I'm gonna be scared even more. <laughs> now, one thing, that's another thing that I noticed as I've gotten older too is carbs. I know a lot of people talk about carbohydrates. Uh, I know some people try to make uh, healthy decisions when it comes to uh, their food choices and they think that they need to eliminate carbohydrates altogether out of their diets. Um, can you explain the role carbohydrates can play in the body and how the right carbs can help you actually get in shape? Yeah, definitely. So carbs, another thing that has become the enemy in like the, the sort of lay public understanding, a lot of people think carbs are the enemy. And from my perspective, I think this is for a few reasons. I think that, that people generally think 
carbs are bad because they know people who do well with like the keto diet mm. and um the keto diet super popular right now you might have a friend or two or three or more who've gone on the keto diet and they've lost weight and then people automatically attribute that to carbohydrates and taking out carbohydrates from their diet. I would say that the, the keto diet is the most popular diet right now. That hasn't been true in the past. It hasn't always been the most popular diet, but there have been different kinds of diets like that. And so I think that there's this mentality. Um, also, because something you mentioned before, Kendall, things like white, white bread is bad, or like maybe the foods that we think of when we think of carbohydrates lead us to believing that they're one of the worst choices that we can make. But I would contend that you have some of the foods that we would even think of as being the healthiest within that carbohydrate category as well. For example, fruits and vegetables and whole grains, some of the staples that I mentioned having in your diet just to create that base are primarily carbohydrates. I would say it's more important which ones you choose when you choose your carbohydrates than it is just eliminating carbohydrates altogether. I would say you'd be in a lot of trouble if you totally eliminated all whole grains, all fruits, all vegetables from your diet. And so I think that there's even this misnomer, you might hear somebody saying, yeah, I took out all carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. well, what do they really mean when they say that? I love it when people tell me, yeah, I've eliminated all carbohydrates. I ate all fruits and vegetables the other day. I'm like, well, you still you eat some carbs. Eliminate <laughs> carbohydrates if you're consuming yourself i mean it sounds like carbs are your base if you're eating primarily fruits and vegetables right right <laughs> and so um the choice in in carbs that you need is really important but carbs it's true can make you retain water so if i if i for the next week didn't eat any carbs or didn't eat many carbs my body's gonna lose weight just because of water for one so if i stop taking in carbs that retain water over the course of the next week, it wouldn't be uncommon for somebody to lose five pounds or maybe more, depending on how much um, water your bodies are training. But I'd say that retaining water is not actually a bad thing and is actually a, a good um, thing, especially in the summer months, to keep us from becoming dehydrated. It's a natural thing for your body to retain some water. But if you consume too many carbs, same is true with salt. If you contain, if you um, take in too much salt, mm -hmm. your body's going to hang on to that. So if you have a heavy carb dinner the next day, you might feel kind of bloated. Your body is holding on to some of that water. So carbs aren't the enemy. I wouldn't say eliminate them. I would say you just want to include the right ones in, um, especially fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, the things that you've probably been taught since you were young. I, I would say none of that has changed. Things in nutritional sciences change, but those things haven't. Those things have been really consistent. Yeah, because I know me personally, I know some other people, that's why they say, oh, I eliminated carbs. When you think of carbs, you just think of something like a pasta, you think of like a candy, like you just think of those type of carbohydrates. But as you mentioned, carbohydrates are in these fruits and vegetables and whole grains that we eat every day. Not too many people look at those foods mm -hmm. as a source of carbohydrates. And I know another thing that you touched on that, that stuck out to me and that I keep in my head when I always mm -hmm. think about my eating process is the ratio that you should have carbs to protein, especially when you're trying to get in shape, is three to one. Three is the ratio of three to one with three carbohydrates and one type of protein in terms of your eating habits. And that was like very integral into how I eat mm -hmm. nowadays because I'll incorporate more carbs than I do protein. And that's another common misperception uh, that I want to touch on as well with you. People would say, oh, 
I'm trying to gain weight, so I'm going to eat as much protein as I can. But people don't understand that proper balance of carbohydrates and protein. Talk to us about how protein consumption is supposed to go when one is trying to gain weight and how people should strive for a balance between proteins and carbohydrates. Yeah, great question. Very common misconception. So I, I worked um, as a personal trainer for three years and a lot of the guys I worked with were like, I'm going to pound the protein because I'm trying to gain muscle. So this, mm -hmm. this um, misconception is even common among people in the field who don't have as much of a nutrition background. So protein is important. The three to one ratio that you mentioned, Kendall, is really important after exercise especially. Mm -hmm. So people think about having protein after exercise to help their muscles recover and repair. This is true and protein is absolutely necessary in that process. But what they don't realize is that carbohydrates are even more necessary after as far as like the total amount that you get. So that three to one, three parts carbohydrate to one part protein and mm -hmm. carbohydrates help the protein actually do their work within the body. And another thing that can happen is if you don't have the right carbohydrates in place, you can throw off your hormones. So cortisol levels. So cortisol is known as the stress hormone. If I go and work out, we generally think of this as a good stress on the body, but we would expect cortisol levels to increase. Cortisol, the stress hormone, can break down all kinds of different things within your body. Muscle is one of those things. And if I don't get carbohydrates in my body and I just put in protein, my body doesn't have the carbohydrates to combat that that cortisol that builds up so i have these stress the stress hormone building up within my body mm -hmm. and the protein doesn't really help reduce that in the same way so actually i think in in my mind it's like i think putting protein in, into my body is so important after exercise but really what i've done is i've increased cortisol and this is breaking down muscle a lot of times at a faster rate than the protein can even help the muscle repair. Mm. And so I might be doing the opposite of what I think I'm doing, and it might be counterproductive to just put in protein and not carbohydrates. Um, Cortisol is not the only hormone that, that uh, is involved in this process, but it's a good example of um, what happens. And so to regulate your hormones that help with muscle building, you need carbohydrates. And um, also just to allow protein to do its work, you need carbohydrates to kind of fuel it within that process. And so carbs and protein are both super important. I tend to focus more on carbohydrates just because of the misnomers that we have in our culture. I feel like I, right now in this day and age, I don't need to tell anybody that protein is important because we already overemphasize it right. and we de-emphasize the importance of carbohydrates. So in general, I tend to advocate more for carbohydrates in my classes just to combat sort of like that, that cultural perception that we have. And I try to get people to back off a little bit on protein, but I'd say they're both super important. Um, but just uh, based on where we're at, I kind of advocate more for one than the other. 
Yeah, because carbohydrates uh, serve as a source of energy, where protein serves as the, that building blocks to rebuild your muscles, which is in, right. which is integral after a workout. Because after you have damaged your muscles by working out, you need the protein to help repair and rebuild those muscles. But carbohydrates come in to give you that energy boost after a workout, before during a workout, if you're drinking like a Gatorade, mm-hmm. for example, to give you the energy to keep going in those workouts. And I think a lot of people don't really touching that or notice that they just think like i said oh protein this eat all these protein bars let me get this protein shake let me get protein 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 that's mm-hmm. all you really hear yeah and and i'm glad you actually touched on that so what are some other common misconceptions you see people talk about when it comes to diets because i know there's like a bunch of different diet trends out there like a ko diet as you uh pointed to earlier what are some other misconceptions did you hear people talk about when it comes to certain diets and certain foods? Um, carbs and, oh, <laughs> you might have to edit that out. Sorry, Kendall. Um, carbohydrates and protein are probably some of the biggest ones that I see most repeatedly. And so I think you touched on probably one of the biggest, most prevailing ones mm-hmm. right now. Um, but I don't know. I see, I see other things where people are trying to avoid things or take out things that they don't necessarily need to within their diet. So, um, one example that I guess I would give is like people try and maybe eliminate all sugar. Mm. And I would say that sugar is part of the problem here in America. We tend to consume too much sugar. And so I think the basis for doing something like that is, um, okay, we recognize there's a problem with things like obesity, things like uh, metabolic disturbance and the metabolic syndrome, for example, that can lead to a lot of other chronic health conditions. And so they're like, okay, let's get rid of all sugar. What they don't realize is that by eliminating certain foods, maybe it's sugar, maybe it's something else. A lot of times those foods that we eliminate tend to have more power on us than, than we think they do. And the very act of eliminating them is likely to make us crave them more. I'll give a personal example here. Um, I don't, I've never craved a lot of meat. I do consume meat. I'm not a vegan. I'm not a vegetarian by any means. Mm-hmm. And I, for 30 days, gave up um, all meat. And I thought it'd be easy for me because I a lot of times don't miss or recognize when there isn't meat on my plate because I do tend to have like more grains and vegetables and things of that nature in in my meals and I don't miss it in the same way that my friends do but the moment I took out meat from my diet and doing it for 30 days was a whole lot harder than I thought it would be and I was just kind of um, experimenting for a bit of time I craved meat a whole lot more than I ever did because I knew I was eliminating it And so people will try to go on these certain diets. Maybe it's eliminating sugar. I think that's a common one. Um, I mentioned eliminating meats. People certainly choose that as a a lifestyle long-term when we're talking about uh, vegetarians and vegans. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't do that. I'm giving a personal example of of my own experience. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes what people don't realize is those foods that we eliminate are likely to be something that we binge with later on. So if I tell myself I can't have a cookie from now 
until this time next year, I'm going to eliminate cookies for the next year of my life. I'm probably going to crave cookies a whole lot more than I did if I hadn't told myself that. And so I think that we need to encourage more like moderation and how can I incorporate a cookie or um, red meat or white bread or things that I enjoy that might not be the most uh, nutrient dense kind of foods. How can I incorporate them in a more balanced diet in a way that I'm not trying to eliminate them? So that'd be a common sort of dieting strategy is, you know, eliminating certain foods or like taking certain things out that we view as the enemy. And we just don't realize that that can have the opposite effect. And a lot of times when we go back to whatever style of eating or whatever thing that we eliminated, we end up gaining more weight than we um, weighed when we started the diet plan. And so I'd say that that's a common thing that I see. And in general, I think moderation is better than just like trying to eliminate even something like sugar or like a whole food group, like carbohydrates. It can make our body even carbohydrates, our body can become more sensitive to carbohydrates when we eliminate them. And so our, we have more adverse reactions when we incorporate them back in, in a sense too. Um, so I don't know if, uh, if you were thinking of any other dieting strategies, that's one of the ones that comes to my mind right off the bat. Oh no, you made a great point. And actually can lead into another question. Cause one thing I wanted to touch on was like eating in moderation, as you said, and like, I know like for me personally, like when I go on my workouts and stuff, I will like limit myself to having like one sweet per week or I won't eat like a, a cheat meal till like the end of the week or when I'm done working out. And that's like a, a misconception. You know how people get to this, like they don't understand because they think, oh, if I'm working out and staying shape, I must completely cut this food out of my diet. Mm -hmm. But eating in moderation is still good because like you said, your body will get used to it. And if you completely cut it out of your diet, then you go back and eat it once and you completely change your whole entire weight because you'll start binge eating and eating that uh, food more and more often. And like, for example, like The Rock, for example, we all know him to be this big muscular guy, but he'll post on his Instagram on Sundays eating these big hearty cheat meals where it'd be like big French toast with double peanut butter and like tequila all like he'll, it's, it's good to eat in moderation and people don't know that. And one thing I wanted to touch on, you kind of answered it already, was is it good to have a cheat meal every once in a while? Because like I said, some people will say, oh, I need to cut this completely out of the diet. There's no need for me to eat no more cookies. I should eat no more brownies because I had a brownie last night. Uh, I should eat <laughs> no more candy, like none of that. But it's okay to have a cheat meal. And, and is that correct? Well, Kendall, I had ice cream last night, so <laughs> I, I didn't have a lot, but I right. did have like a, a little bit of ice cream, right? It was so a I, small brownie. I, it was a small brownie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no judgment here for me. I'm not, my friends sometimes have this perception that I'm going to like slap them on the hand when they start eating their brownie and I'm like, what do you, what do you, <laughs> you know? I, I also enjoy sweets, right? Um, so personally, I would advocate for less of like a cheat meal mentality and for example like okay i love chocolate okay if i view that as sort of like my cheat indulgence although you're thinking more of a meal and i guess i'm thinking more of a dessert so maybe i should come up with a better example um mac and cheese i do love mac and cheese okay not our too. not our healthiest choice out there right my mom right. makes a mean homemade mac and cheese since I was a kid that I absolutely love. So One of mine. my favorite Sounds comfort mine. foods. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> not, not, we're not just talking like microwavable or from like 
macaroni grill Crab or something. Cheese, We're talking no. about mom's homemade mac and cheese, right? Mm-hmm. So I love it. <laughs> and when mom makes it, I consume it. Right. And I can, I would advocate for it. Like, so if I have one cheat meal per day and maybe I've already done my cheat meal and mom made that, I would, I would not, I would be like, well, there went my, I already had my one cheat meal of the day. So I can't enjoy that with my family. Right. I don't, I don't like that sort of mentality, but I do watch, for example, my portions and the other things that I'm consuming. And Maybe if I'm having something that is more indulgent and so mac and cheese, heavy on the carbs, heavy also on the fat. There's a little bit of protein in there, but it's certainly heavier on the carbs and the fat. Um, And so, (laughs) right. So like, I want to think about getting more vegetables and maybe that meal is not my meal where I get more vegetables in. So I am thinking about the other things that I'm eating throughout the day, or maybe the next day, if we're talking about a dinner meal, like I don't have time to like go and recreate the things that I already did. And so I, I don't think it's worth like totally eliminating anything. I think it's just how we fit things into the overall picture of what we're consuming. Now that can be really hard for people because it's like, okay, yeah, well, I'm gonna have mac and cheese tonight. And then I have the opportunity for like donuts in the morning. And then I have the opportunity for pizza with my coworkers at work. And so I think some people might require a little bit more structure where maybe they do think about when can I eat certain things and maybe it's not as loose as mine is where I do generally allow myself to partake in certain meals with friends, but I'm thinking about the other things I'm eating around it and I am eating relatively healthy um, otherwise so that when those opportunities do present, I don't feel like I'm like totally upending everything. Yeah. So... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Kendall. I was going to say, um, as, as I touched on a good point, as I say, like, just knowing one's body, because not everybody can consume and eat the same portions or eat the same thing as anybody else can. Because I know some people will look at somebody and be like, oh, well, she eats this, so I can't, I can't eat this, or he eats that, so I should eat like him. Like, people's bodies are different, and people should understand one's body to understand what they can eat at certain times of the day or like what they should stay away from or what they should eat more of. Cause I think a lot of people would like, they'll just look at certain people all the time and compare their diets to theirs and try to get to, they see somebody's body and say, well, I want that type of body. So I must eat what they eat. But everybody's mm-hmm. bodies is different. Like you can, like we, like we said, you had ice cream last night and I had a brownie last night, but it doesn't mean like I can consume a brownie all the time. Cause maybe somebody can they can consume a brownie all the time. They can still be fine. Like I have a friend who eats junk food and eats unhealthy, but you look at him, he's diesel. He's like in shape and everything, but as mm-hmm. he have different types of body. He has different types of metabolism. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand that sometimes. Yeah. Kendall, we all have that friend who can eat whatever they want and still look really good, whether Jealous. that's being really thin or still Jealous. really fit. I, I think we all have that friend, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got more than one of them. And I'm like, come on. Right. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Everybody's body is different and how we respond to certain things. People have different food sensitivities. I've, I've mentioned um, carbohydrates, but some people eliminate carbohydrates because of allergies or food sensitivities mm. that they might have. And there might be reason to consider eliminating different things. And uh, I do want to make clear that I wasn't talking about it for those specific individuals. There might be reason to eliminate certain things, but um, 
some of us are more sensitive to carbs. Some of us are more sensitive to acidic foods. Some of us are more sensitive to the chemicals in different foods and how our bodies respond to those chemicals and things um, could lead to different responses than the next person. Uh, they think that in some people, saturated fats, cholesterol might be more important than in other individuals as far as like cardiovascular health is concerned down the road. So I think we're, you're asking your question thinking mainly of like how we'll respond as far as like general fitness or um, whether or not we gain weight and things of that nature. But there is a highly individualized response and in, in how we think about different foods. And um, I, I would say we definitely need to learn our bodies. But then I also think we need to find foods that work for us because if we try and eat Joe Schmo's diet plan and we hate all that food, I hate protein shakes. If you tried to get me to consume protein shakes, I would be off the bandwagon for whatever dieting plan you created <laughs> by tomorrow. Like I'm, I'm done by tomorrow. I hate protein you hate it, shakes. You hate it that much. Yeah, they're disgusting, <laughs> in my opinion, in my opinion, right? So like some people that I know really love them and, and they find the ones that are like chocolate, vanilla, milkshake extreme or whatever it might right. be. And I'm like, it still tastes like a protein shake to me. I have no desire. Like I'd rather <laughs> consume foods that I enjoy and enjoy the process of eating. Yep. And I think that's important too, enjoying the things that we eat and finding things that work within that system of um, whatever our goals might be. And that takes trial and error. It does. It does take a lot of trial and error. And, and that, and to that point is to each his own. Like everybody likes the same thing where in your case, you do not like protein shakes. Some people might <laughs> like protein shakes. Um, as we are in this coronavirus pandemic um, and people are starting to go back to the gym as we are seeing, uh, do you think the gym can be a safe place for people to work out? And if not, what kind of workouts can people do from home? Cause I know you had mentioned that you used to be a personal trainer for a couple of years. Uh, are there any type of workouts you can prefer people who are still a little bit timid or going back to the gym? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I have not made it back to the gym myself. And um, I'm thinking, especially of, I've got some sick family members that are at higher risk with coronavirus that I am, in regular contact with. So for me as an individual, I haven't chosen to go back to the gym for that reason. If I wasn't considering family members for myself, I don't know that I'm too scared about the coronavirus that I'd be totally trying to avoid things. And so I think it is to some degree a, a personal choice um, going back to the gym or not. And I don't know that I necessarily want to advocate heavily for one or the other because somebody yeah. might get coronavirus and be like, well, you know, they said I should go back to the gym. I right, personally right. have not chosen um, to go back to the gym just yet, but I have been exercising quite a bit. I do have some weights at home, but I don't have a ton of weights at home because I generally go to the gym <laughs> for my workouts. And so I've been using what I have. Um, I have seen people using like milk jugs, cans of food, you name it. But I, there are a lot of body weight workouts. I've been running. It's getting a little hot for running, walking. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is getting hot out there right now. It's uh, 90 something. I know where I'm at in Kentucky Yes, it um, is. right now. <laughs> and I I was sweating. I was sweating out there just walking um, this morning. And I'm a runner. I, I love to run. And I also do weights and stuff. And I've been maintaining some of that. But 
I have seen so many body weight workouts and workout from home options that have popped up everywhere. Yes. If you just go and do a Google search, I mean, people are creating them, personal trainers, my friends who are out there are creating them and there's a lot of free content right now that is not always out there. Um, I have looked on YouTube and done fun like dance workouts and stuff. There's a ton of stuff out there if you wanna stay in the air conditioning. And I would advocate for weights if you can get it in and cardio. I think both are important for the cardiovascular system and thinking about your, your muscular health. Um, I would say that for the individual who's trying to gain a lot of muscle right now, it would be a little bit harder to do that outside of the gym. And so it might be more of a question of like maintaining what you have um, and you might not have as many opportunities unless you do have weights at home to challenge your muscles in the way that you're used to by having, you know, like being able to go up with the different weights that you have uh, at the gym. And so Kindle, people might be a little bit more limited in what they're able to do. And if they feel comfortable going to the gym, I know some are, I have a friend who's a trainer. They're all required to wear masks. Personally, I would hate working out in a mask. I, Ooh, I, I, can't <laughs> I cannot right. imagine. So, so people are doing it. I have a friend who's a trainer who's doing it and it's an option, but uh, I'm preferring to do my workouts outside um, and air conditioning. I actually bought a treadmill. It's coming today. It's harder to find fitness equipment right now, though, because other people are thinking about it, too. Oh, yeah. And that's like for me, for example, I ordered uh, a yoga mat not too long ago. I ordered a yoga mat in April. It still has to come to this day. Eventually, I have to ask yep. for a refund because I was like, you know, I don't even need it no more because <laughs> before they even, because <laughs> I was like, it's, I ordered this a couple months ago. I was like, why is it not here? Because now I started to go back to the gym, not like a public gym, but like uh, the gym on my apartment complexes. And even before then, me and my friend, we made a workout. And as you said, it was kind of hard to do the kind of muscle building workouts that I usually do in the gym because I don't have weights in here. So most of the workouts I was doing was more geared towards the abs. I would do some muscle building workouts, like a slow uh, push-ups, but most of it was geared towards my abs. And I would do a lot more cardio, running a lot, which kind of helped me because with the workouts I do now, I'm starting to run more after my, as I complete my workouts, which I see a difference in it, how it affected my body because it's making me a little mm -hmm. bit more leaner. But as you said, not a lot of people have the luxury of going and using weights at home. So a lot of people gear towards that ab type workout and <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know we <laughs> talked, I know we talked about gaining weight and how to properly eat to do so, but what mm -hmm. about people that want to lose weight? Uh, no, what what kinds of food should people look at when they want to lose weight uh, instead of trying to gain weight? I'd say it's um, more of the same that we've talked about, mm. but uh, looking especially at portion sizes. So the foods that I would recommend, um, thinking again about especially fruits, vegetables, whole grains, are lean meats, um, incorporating some dairy in there too to kind of make sure we're getting those nutrients like our vitamin D and our calcium. Right. I think that those nutrients and the things found in those are things that I would recommend to anybody, whether they're trying to gain weight or lose weight, but it's probably a question of whether we're eating more or less of them when we talk about gaining and losing. Now, things that I would encourage, especially for an individual who is trying to lose weight, I'd make sure that they're getting enough protein in. Protein is making sure, protein will make sure within your body that you feel satiated. So if I feel satiated, 
after I consume a meal, generally what that means is that my body feels satisfied in a sense, and I'm less likely to be hungry within an hour or two. It curbs hunger for longer if I feel satiated. So protein is one of the, the nutrients that we know that does do that. So taking that with a grain of salt with some of the other things that I've mentioned with protein earlier, that's one of the roles protein does play. I think it's super important. I think it's important for the individual who's trying to lose weight, especially because otherwise your body starts to tear down muscle too. You don't want to lose a lot of that lean tissue that helps your metabolism, but you want to maintain that. And so making sure you have adequate protein is important for the person trying to lose weight. And then I'd say fiber and fiber is going to be found within our carbohydrates, our fruits and vegetables and our whole no, grains, oatmeal. especially oatmeal is a great <laughs> one that has fiber in it. Fiber does the same thing as protein helps satiate us and helps us, um, feel fuller and not crave things as early on as if we consume something that's high in fat. We might be hungry. You know, you've gone to a, a fast food restaurant before and ordered something and then like an hour or two, you're hungry again because it doesn't, it doesn't make you feel satisfied in the same way. Now you could have that greasy food like, oh, I just feel kind of sick. I don't really want to yeah. eat. That's different than feeling satiated. Um, so that, that, that's a different thing going on in the body and the body having a hard time processing what you ate. Um, so that can happen after an example like fast food, but it can, uh, the good kind of like, my body has what it needs and I won't need to eat um, for a little bit longer as opposed to, you know, like an hour or two from now comes from things like protein and fiber. And so same foods, especially thinking about protein and fiber, but maybe less of them than the person who is trying to gain weight. Definitely. Definitely. And as I pointed to earlier, like you said, fiber, great source, as you said, to keep yourself full throughout the day. Cause that's, I think that's a lot of people, as you said, that could be a problem sometimes where they eat something, but like an hour or two later, they'll get hungry again. But usually, and that's people get on me about this. Cause I usually eat about at least four hours a day, like each four hours. But mm -hmm. if you eat like satiated foods, as you said, like fiber, it's, it'll keep you, hungry throughout that time till you won't get hungry again until about four hours or so later. Um, mm -hmm. Going back to what we was talking about where in terms of exercise, um, I know I, I touched on a little bit when we talked about running, you saying you're a runner too. Um, is cardio the only good way to exercise? Is the only way to exercise in order to lose weight? I know people think of in order to lose weight, you must run and do some type of cardio all the time, whether it be running on a treadmill, running on actual uh, ground, uh, do the bicycle, elliptical, but can lifting weights and other ex exercises also play a part in losing weight more so than cardio can do itself? Yeah, um, great question again, and one that I see a lot of misconceptions about. So if I were to compare, uh, I'll talk about lifting weights versus cardio sort of generally, because those are the, the, the two that you mentioned, Kendall. Um, so cardio... Lifting weights, I highly advocate for both of those things. I am a cardiovascular researcher. And so when I think about cardio, I'm thinking about the heart and the good things it does for the heart because that's my area of research in addition to like the benefits it can have for weight loss. And so I'm going to advocate for cardio, not just because of the calorie burn that you can get, but I would say think about incorporating it in because cardiovascular disease is the thing that kills more people in the U.S. than any other thing. And so I would advocate for it for that reason. 
but I would say you're doing different things when you do cardio versus muscle building. So um, cardio, some of the benefits for an individual trying to lose weight, especially minute per minute, I am typically burning more calories with cardio than I am lifting weights. So if I'm just talking about, you know, like if I have 30 minutes and I have the option of lifting weights or I have the option of running on, running outside, running on a treadmill, whatever it might be, typically I'm going to burn more calories running than I am lifting weights. Now, I wouldn't say that you should only do cardio. That's not your only option. There are benefits to doing, to lifting weights as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I do advocate for cardio. Absolutely. I gave you that little spiel, but I also advocate for lifting weights for a number of different reasons. Uh, thinking from a health perspective, like balance, posture, um, muscular imbalances, even if I try to go and run, but I don't have the muscular system to support that, that can lead to injury really easily. And just in my day-to-day -day activities, if I, if I don't have um, built up strength for day-to-day -day kinds of activities, we all, we've probably all been in that spot where we just did like a little something, or if you haven't been in that spot as you get older, you'll like turn the wrong way. And then all of a sudden you're like, what's going on with my back? But that happened to me at age 15. So it's not, it's not just, it's not just an age thing, but it's not. It's trust me, that's why I'm over adjusting my back right now. Every time I do it, my back will pop. So trust me. I know <laughs> I, I played uh, soccer all the way through college and I had all kinds of little things like that. And I was very fit. Yeah. Um, but so thinking about things like that, but then when I, when I go back to that weight loss, weight gain perspective, so for the individual who's trying to gain muscle weight, obviously lifting weights is going to be important, but even for the individual who's trying to lose weight, if I gain more muscle, if I gain more lean mass in my body, so a lot of times people will say, I want to get toned. Well, being toned is kind of like a fallacy in, in some senses, like what people think of. You need muscle underneath to even look toned. So then they're like, well, I don't really want to build muscle. I just want to look toned. Well, in order to get that toned to look, it requires muscle underneath. Right. And so we have to work the muscular system. It might be in a different way than the individual who's trying to gain a lot of weight um, from muscle building kind of activities. So those two things might look different. But also, once I build that muscle, as somebody who's trying to lose weight, even as I sit down and talk to you, I'm burning more calories than the person who has less muscle. And so my metabolism burns calories even as I sit down, as I'm laying down, as I'm doing different things. And after I finish working out, you have this period of time where your, your body is especially burning more calories after you get done with a muscle building type of workout or a muscle, I shouldn't say muscle building, I should say um, some kind of strength training, some kind of weight training type of activity, because it's not just muscle building kind of activity that would do that, but uh, general strength training, lifting weights. Resistance training. Your, what's that? Resistance, Resistance training. training. Any of those words that you want to use, we use them kind of interchangeably. Mm -hmm. um, I am burning more calories after I get done with a session like that, even than when I say run or do something else. And so there's benefit to weight loss because in a sense I can eat more and have a faster metabolism when I add more muscle into the overall picture. So I think it's really important to do both. It's not just uh, one or the other. Definitely. And one thing you touched on was the importance of doing cardio and like how it affects your cardiovascular health. It actually kind of took me back and it flashed back in my head was when I was a child, we had this program called Jump Rope for Heart. 
and they'll make us like just do the jump ropes and stuff, which I always found fun. But I just remember like the song and how important they was talking about jump roping and doing forms of cardio in order to like have great cardiovascular health. Cause as you touched on, it can lead, if you don't do any type of cardiovascular activities to help increase that health, it can lead to cardiovascular diseases, whether it be something with your heart or many or multiple things. Um, going on and staying with working out, is there a certain type or is there a certain time of the day, of the day where somebody should work out in order to achieve their full potential and whether they're trying to either lose weight or gain weight. Cause I know some people say, Oh, it's best to work out and wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Or I hear people say, Oh, it's great to work out at night. I'm one of those people. Um, but is there a specific time of the day where a person should work out in order to have the most optimal performance in the gym? Kendall, this is an interesting question. There are um, different thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. My personal thought is if you can find the time to exercise, do what works for you. Right. And some people are more morning people or more night people. And so you might get a more productive workout in the morning if you're a morning person and the person who is more of a night person might get a more productive workout at night. Mm -hmm. There's some question about like whether this throws off something known as your circadian rhythms and how that can, that can affect health. And so they're studying that right now and we don't have any firm conclusions on that and how it might affect overall health. But what we do know is that exercising is great for your health. And so <laughs> it's in the morning or if it's in the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Regardless of time of day, it's it's good for your overall health. And so I, I hate giving people another reason not to work out by like telling them it has to be at 5am because a lot of people aren't going to do it if you tell them it has to be at 5am. Yeah. And so I'd say find the time that works for you. There, um, There's been some research to say that if you're lifting weights that in the afternoon, your body might be a little bit uh, better at doing that than in the morning. Um, there's also some research to say that people are more likely to adhere to workout routines if they do it in the morning. Cause the thing that happens is, you know, I, my day just gets carried along. And if you've mm -hmm. done it in the morning, then you don't skip it. But then it's like, you could build things up. Oh, I got to do this. I've got to do this. I got to do this. And it can easily be one of those things that's pushed out by the end of the day. And so I, I would say there might be reasons to advocate for one or the other, but by and large, my recommendation is to find a time that works for you that you're most likely to adhere to. Um, I tend to work out more in the mornings, but uh, I also do work out some in the evenings. And so I, I'm not rigid to one or the other. I find what works for me, my schedule changes. Right. And that's a big important thing. Cause that's like something I've been like battling throughout my years here at college because me being in the military, we had to wake up in the morning and work out, which I was forced to do that. So when I came back out here, I'm like, oh, I'm going to wake up in the morning and work out. But I am not a morning person, no matter <laughs> what. It, even from when I was a child, even when I was in basic and AIT, even now, I am not a morning person. So working out in the morning was so difficult for me. I even tried working out in the middle of the day this past semester because it got to a point where I was so tired from working at night that I couldn't, I wasn't wake up in the morning to work out and I had stuff going on at night so I couldn't work out at night. So I said, let me fit in the middle of the day. Maybe I'll work out then. No, did not work out for me because it made me late to class. I didn't properly <laughs> time things. And I eventually had to go to my, my best position 
and, and working out is in the evening or at nighttime because mm-hmm. I'm done with the day. I got nothing else left to do. I can work out and go straight to bed and relax. Cause I've seen some people talk about like, well, if you work out at nighttime, it's, it'd be a good way for you to go to sleep afterwards. Cause your body is resting. You can get a good meal afterwards and you can like, which is a important thing, which is going to kind of lead to my next question about rest. And I found that perfect uh, spot for me to work out was just at nighttime. Now, granted, I used to work out a little bit too late. Like I used to go to the gym at like midnight and work out to like two in the morning. Or if I'm really up, I'll work out at 2 a.m. But that, that was back then. I don't do that too much. Now I'm like more in the evening, like seven or nine at, at nighttime. But as you said, as you pointed to, it's all about what your schedule is like and how you feel best and what time you can work out. Because like I said, for me, nighttime is the best time for me to work out. And going to, as I stated earlier about my next question, is the importance of rest. How important is sleep into one's health and whether it be into gaining muscle or just doing things, just health all mm-hmm. together. Sleep. How important is it and how many hours of sleep uh, should people strive to get every night? Yeah, sleep is super important. And I've been one of those people who struggled some with uh, sleep. I I can have nights where it's really hard for me to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And generally what's recommended from a health standpoint is seven to nine hours. A lot of times people will say eight hours um, in, in the middle of those two. But it's also apparent that there are individual differences. Some people can function with less sleep than that. And it doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to lead to similar problems with say not getting as much done at work um, or some of the things that we can see from from day to day for an individual who has less sleep now whether or not it might lead to chronic health conditions quicker than the next person is something that has yet to be um, fully determined because we'd have to follow somebody out over the course of their life and they'd have to have kind of regular patterns like that for a long period of time so it's a bit more difficult to study but it appears as though if people in general get less sleep, it's not great for their overall health. And um, as an example of something that I kind of mentioned earlier with say the stress hormone cortisol, if we don't get much sleep, that stress hormone is likely to be higher in our body. And so it can be counterproductive for an individual who's trying to gain muscle, um, gain weight in general, because it'll, the stress hormone will start to break down, again, the muscles in the body and just starts to break down things in the body. But it can also uh, be counterproductive to an individual who is trying to lose weight. And so um, I'd say for your health overall, it can be counterproductive to not get enough sleep. So say I'm getting four or five hours at night, which I've had periods in my life, especially when I was working on my dissertation, where that was more normal for me. And even though I knew it wasn't great for my health, it was like a period of time where I was like, I have to write my dissertation. The timeline's not moving. I get it done. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and so I I mean, I I knew that. And so I understand. I think uh, young parents often kind of face that same dilemma, like, okay, but I have a child that's screaming at me. And so I can tell myself I need eight hours of sleep. You know, like there are different phases of life, I guess I'd say, um, that might cause you to not get as much sleep as you need. So in general, I'd advocate for seven to nine hours, eight hours. Some people require a little bit more than that, but um, from a weight loss, weight gain standpoint, um, I guess I didn't finish what I was saying about weight loss. So weight loss, if I'm trying to lose weight, but I am only sleeping four hours at night, think about it like this. I've got 20 hours during the day where I could be eating. 
And so if I'm awake for 20 hours instead of 16 hours, oftentimes that leads to a person consuming more food, especially if they're tired in those later hours of the day. Mm. Your body commonly mistakes that feeling of being tired as like, oh, I need more energy. What it needs is physical sleep, but then it'll like crave or want for more calories because it, it, it's like lacking energy. And so it, it misperceives in a sense that that sense, that need for energy that would be required from getting physical sleep and like the rejuvenation that would come from that and then asks for food. So people commonly eat more food when they're not um, sleeping enough or actually if they're sleeping too much. I was about to say, what about people that sleep be, too much? Yeah, when you sleep too much, um, and part of this could be that that pattern is commonly associated with depression, mm. but they found as they've studied this is that people who, who sleep too much throughout the day, they tend to consume more food than the next person. So like hour by hour, they end up taking more calories than the next person, which based on what I just said, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't necessarily make sense. Like, so what if I'm only awake for 10 hours per day, then I'm probably likely to eat less. Well, it's weird because it seems like there's a sweet spot, like in that seven to nine hours. And if we get too much or too little, it's like, it's telling, it's like, it messes with the hormones in our body is mm -hmm. um, the likely culprit for a lot of this. And so it, it causes your body to sense certain things. And so if we don't find ourselves in that sweet spot, it can dysregulate hormones and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, uh, to touch on that, is it some like, if you get too much sleep that like when you wake up and you eat too much, is it like your body trying to catch up with the calories that it missed out on? Kind of for me personally, like if I oversleep, I wake up starving. Like I wake up, like I already wake up hungry. I'm, already, I'm one of the people that wake up I'm hungry to eat breakfast every time I wake up. But if I get too much sleep, I'm waking up, I'm going to eat the biggest breakfast I've ever had in a while. Like, is that, is that a thing as to why that happens? Like, just because you're sleeping too much that your body's missing out on the calories, especially if you're, like, on a, a normal schedule of a daily eating routine, like you eat at certain times of the day. Like, does your body just react that way because you're missing out on the calories that you're supposed to get throughout the day? Is that the case, would you say? I'd say it's probably a bit more complicated than that, but okay. it could be, I mean, like if we think about breakfast, it is breaking your fast. Mm -hmm. And so if you go for a longer period of time fasting, your body is likely to crave more. Like we talked about this um, in class, Kendall, you had me. It's like, if, if I go eight hours without eating, during the day, a lot of times I'm ravenous by the time I actually sit down and eat and I crave a lot of fat and sugar because my body wants right. like quick energy. And so like I, I start craving things that are not as healthy, not as nutrient dense as maybe another option would be. And so if I am fasting in a sense for a long period of time, which just happens to be associated with sleeping, I would expect similar things to happen. But um, it it's probably not just that because uh, like I mentioned, a lot of times sleeping longer could potentially be connected to things like um, depression, for example. And so we don't know how much of it could be something like that. And depression like dysregulates your hormones um, a lot. We have these appetite regulating hormones that are called leptin and ghrelin, and those can be thrown off if we're sleeping different amounts of time or too much. And so um, I'd say that could be a, a potential reason that like our, our body gets really 
more and more hungry the longer we are not eating, but um, there could be other factors at play and that it's probably more complicated than just like the sort of simplistic understanding of only that, although it certainly does play a part. Okay. All right. Last question here. And uh, a question I wanted to get to is the importance of water. Now, I'm a big proponent of water and me being from Louisville, Kentucky, which has one of the nation's top waters in the, in, the, in the entire nation. People think I'm crazy when I say that. If you look it up, Louisville has one of the best water companies in the nation. Um, how important is water in terms of like when it comes to one's health and sustaining energy throughout the days or throughout workouts? Kind of a lot of people will say, well, I'll, I don't like to drink water. I like to drink soda or I like to drink Gatorade or I like to drink Kool-Aid or just anything. Like people will just put off water, but a lot of people I feel like miss out on the importance of water and what it can do for your health. Um, talk to us about water and how it affects somebody's health. Well, I could go on and on about water, but first, what, what's the company? What's the company in Louisville? I'm I am not familiar it's, with this. So it's just it's just the Louisville water company, like just the basic tap water, like the basic okay. tap water that comes from the sink. I'm telling you, it's because I, I I've been to a couple of cities. Like I'll tell you this: the worst water I had was when I was in uh, Camp Shelby, Mississippi, which is Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I mean, I tell you that water, it tastes like chlorine. Like I never had water tasted so bad. You get thirstier drinking the water and it made me appreciate little water more and more and i can and i'm getting to the point now where i can taste the differences in different waters and different places where i go and every time i come back home to louisville like it's just nothing beats it nothing beats louisville water i was told this by my science teacher while i was a freshman in high school i was like he's crazy and i looked it up and i really realized i said nah this is some good water. This is some good water. <laughs> maybe I maybe I need to drive to Louisville and fill up a few jugs to last me for a bit. It's from the it's from the sink. It's from the sink. It's basic tap water. Louisville Water Company. Shout out to Louisville Water Company. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, water is is so important. Uh, fluids in general for your body so important, especially for the person who's exercising and sweating and mm. um, losing water. So water is going to help um, majorly with the GI tract, um, regularly being able to uh, go to the bathroom. Um, if, if I don't have water in my GI tract, that's going to mess up a lot of things. That's going to make people feel uncomfortable really quickly if their GI tract isn't doing its work. Um, so just like on a, on a basic level there, if I am working out, lubricating my joints, replacing what I'm losing through sweat. Um, at a cellular level, I have to have that water in order for my body to be able to repair in the way that it needs to repair. Um, and I, water is uh, just super critical, like on the basic cellular level in, in filling up that cell. And um, if we don't have that, it it messes up a lot of different things throughout the body. And so since cells are just like the basic building blocks of what's going on throughout our body, we can just throw off a lot of stuff not having um, the water that we need. And it could put us at risk for dehydration, especially if we're going outside in the, these hot months right now, we're, we're sweating more and we're more likely to become more dehydrated and it's throwing off our body chemistry if we don't have um, water there, but it, it, it can lead to injury more quickly. I talked about lubricating joints. If I don't have lubrication around my joints as I'm 
um, doing different things, I could be at risk for an injury really quickly, um, or I could find myself in the hospital from dehydration and um, just, just a lot of potential complications that come to the very cellular level of our body. All kinds of things can be thrown off by not getting the appropriate amount of water throughout the body. Definitely. So next time you went outside and you sit by the pool, make sure you reach for a bottle of water instead of a bottle of that Corona. Well, thank you, Dr. Campbell, <laughs> for joining me today for how you're doing. I appreciate you for coming on to the show today. Thanks, Kendall. I had fun. I hope that uh, you all were able to learn something. Yes, I, I think they will, too. Uh, thank you all for joining us and tune in for the next episode. You all have a great day. Peace out.